Dr. New Poetry, Dr. New Poetry Corner. Well, today we are traveling back to antiquity and a one of the most famous poets of antiquity uh, she, um, called, her name was Sappho, S-A-P-P-H-O, and she was around between uh, 620 before Common Era to around 550 uh, before Common Era, um, that is believed. So there's nothing really, uh, the history of her life has been uh, lost in um, the waves of time. Um, and so nothing's known with any um, certainty exactly um, what her life was like. But um, she was born uh, into an aristocratic family um, on the island of Lesbos. And um, the names of her family members and and so forth, uh, there's some, some um, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, there, were an, um, uh, there were really conflicting stories around that. Uh, and uh, she probably was politically connected uh, and um, she was, throughout antiquity, uh, hailed as one of the premier uh, poets. Uh, but the um, uh, substance of her life uh, was um, used as a political tool and a cultural tool um, because of her sexual preferences. So it is understood that she um, was a lesbian and um, it is no um, accident that the name lesbian actually came from the island of Lesbos and is caused by uh, or, or came from uh, um, her poetry and her uh, particular orientation. And that's how the word lesbian came to be. And um, uh, she was, um, uh, you know, uh, some said that she... Um, uh, felt rejected in love and, and killed herself. Others said she died at an old age. Um, and uh, her work has been translated into English. Obviously, it was originally in Greek. And um, she is one of the most influential po poets, um, I guess, of all time in the West. Um, so... Uh, a lot of her poetry was collected into nine volumes and um, put together and then passed on down the generations. So um, I'm going to read a few of her, um, her poems and see what you think about an unconventional uh, Greek woman's poetry from around... Um, two and a half-ish thousand years ago. And just another note on Sappho's contribution uh, to poetry. So uh, her 
contribution is um, around the idea of um, lyric poetry. Um, her work was very direct and impassioned and very simple and was not really for a wider audience. It was really around, around um, uh, providing um, poetry to close friends and, and um, lovers and um, that was very unusual at the time. Most poetry was um, much more impersonal than Sapphire's. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's endured so long. Charizos and Larachos by Sappho. Say what you like about Charizos. That's a fellow with a fat-bellied ship, always in some port or other. What does Zeus care, or the rest of his gang? Now you'd like me on my knees, crying out to Hera, blah, 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 bring him home safe and free of warts, or blubbering, wah, 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 thank you, thank you for curing my liver condition. Good grief, gods do what they like. They call down hurricanes with a whisper, or send off a tsunami the way you would a love letter. If they have a whim, they make some henchman fix it up like those idiots in the Iliad. A puff of smoke, a little fog, away goes the hero. It's happily ever after. As for Larachos, that lay abed, lie, lives for the pillow. If for once he'd get off his ass, he might make something of himself. Then, from that reeking sewer of my life, I might haul up a bucket of spring water. One Girl by Sapphire Translated by Dante Gabriel Rossetti Like the sweet apple which reddens upon the topmost bough, A top on the topmost twig, which the pluckers forgot somehow. Forget it not, nay, but got it not, for none could get it till now. Like the wild hyacinth flower which on the hills is found, which the passing feet of the shepherds forever tear and wound, until the purple blossom is trodden in the ground. To an Army Wife in Sardis by Sappho Translated by Mary Barnyard To an Army Wife in Sardis Some say a cavalry corps, some infantry, some, again, will maintain that the swift oars of our fleet are the finest sight on dark earth. But I say that whatever one loves is. This is easily proved. Did not Helen, she who had scanned the flower of the world's manhood, choose as first among men one who laid Troy's honour in ruin, walked to his will, Forgetting love due to her own blood, her own child, she wandered far with him. So, Anactoria, although you being far away forget us, the dear sound of your footstep and light glancing in your eyes would move me more than glitter of Leiden horse or armoured tread of mainland infantry.
Doctor New Poetry Doctor New Poetry Corner Today's poet is Christina Georgina Rossetti. Uh, and Rossetti um, is a <coughs> excuse me, is a nineteenth century English poem, poet um, and a romantic poet. Um, and uh, she also wrote um, one of my favourite Christmas carols, which is um, In the Bleak Mi Midwinter. And um, she's a really interesting um, uh, poet of the time. Um, she was um, educated um, in uh, London uh, and um, was very religious. Um, so she was educated with fairy tales and religious works and classics and I guess that has uh, really came out in her work. In fact, one of her most famous poems is uh, called The Goblin Market and that will be the poem I will read today. Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti Morning and evening maids heard the goblins cry, Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy, Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, Plump, unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries, Bloom-down-cheeked peaches, swart-hearted mulberries, Wild free-born cranberries, crab-apples, dewberries, Pineapples, blackberries, apricots, strawberries, All ripe together in summer weather, Morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly, come by, come by, our grapes fresh from the vine, pomegranates full and fine, dates and sharp bullaces, rare pears and greengages, damsons and bilberries, taste them and try, currants and gooseberries, bright fire-like barberries, figs to fill your mouth, citrons from the south, sweet to tongue and sound to eye, come by, come by. Evening by evening among the brookside rushes, Laura bowed her head to hear, Lizzie veiled her blushes. Crouching close together in the cooling weather, with clasping arms and cautioning lips, with tingling cheeks and fingertips, lie close, Laura said, pricking up her golden head. We must not look at goblin men. We must not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed, their hungry, thirsty roots. Come by, called the goblins, hobbling down the glen. Oh! cried Lizzie. Laura, Laura, you should not peep at goblin men. Lizzie covered her eyes, covered close lest they should look. Laura reared her glossy head and whispered like the restless brook. Look, Lizzie, look, Lizzie. Down the glen tramp little men. One hauls a basket, one bears a plate, one lugs a golden dish of many pounds weight. How fair the vine must grow, whose grapes are so luscious. How warm the wind must blow through those fruit bushes. No, said Lizzie, no, no, no. Their offers should not charm us. Their evil gifts would harm us. She thrust a dimpled finger in each ear and shut eyes and ran. Curious Laura chose to linger, wondering at each merchant man. One had a cat's face, one whisked a tail, one tramped at a rat's pace, one crawled like a snail. One like a wombat prowled, obtuse and furry, one like a rattle tumbled, hurry-scurry. She heard a voice like the voice of doves cooing altogether. They sounded kind and full of loves in the pleasant weather. Laura stretched her gleaming neck. 
like a rushing bedded swan, like a lily from the beck, like a moonlit poplar branch, like a vessel at the launch when its last restraint is gone. Backwards up the mossy glen, turned and trooped the goblin men with their shrill repeated cry, Come by, come by! When they'd reached where Laura was, they stood stock still upon the moss, leering at each other, brother with queer brother, signalling each other, brother with sly brother. One set his basket down, one read his plate, one began to weave a crown of tendrils leaves and rough nuts brown, men sell not such in any town. One heaved the golden weight of dish and fruit to offer her. Come by, come by, was still their cry. Laura stared but did not stir, longed but had no money. The whiskered-tailed merchant bade her taste in tones as smooth as honey. The cat-faced purred, the rat-faced spoke a word of welcome, and the snout-paced uh, even was heard. One parrot-voiced and jolly cried, Pretty goblin, still, for pretty Polly, one whistled like a bird. But sweet-toothed Laura spoke in haste, Good folk, I have no coin to take were to purloin. I have no copper in my purse, I have no silver either, and all my gold is on the furs that shakes in windy weather above the rusty heather. You have much gold upon your head, they answered all together. Buy from us with a golden curl. She clipped a precious golden lock. She dropped a tear more rare than pearl, then sucked their fruit globes fair or red, sweeter than honey from the rock, stronger than man-rejoicing wine, clearer than water flowed that juice. She never tasted such before. How should it cloy with length of use? She sucked and sucked and sucked the more fruits which that unknown orchard bore. She sucked until her lips were sore, then flung the empty rides away, but gathered up one kernel stone, and knew not was it night or day as she turned home alone. Lizzie met her at the gate, full of wise upbraidings. Dear, you should not say so late. Twilight is no not good for maidens. Should not loiter in the glen, in the haunts of goblin men. Do you not remember, Jeanie, how she met them in the moonlight, took their gifts, both choice and many, ate their fruits and wore their flowers, plucked from bowers, where summer ripens at all hours? But ever in the moonlight she pined and pined away, sought them by night and day, found them no more, but dwindled and grew grey, then fell with the first snow. While to this day no grass will grow where she lies low, I planted daisies there a year ago that never blow. You should not loiter so. Nay, hush, said Laura. Nay, hush, my sister. I ate and ate my fill, yet my mouth waters still. Tomorrow night I will buy more, and kissed her. Have done with sorrow. I'll bring you plums tomorrow, fresh on their mother twigs, cherries worth getting. You cannot think what figs my teeth have met in what melons icy cold, piled on a dish of gold, too huge for me to hold, what peaches with a velvet nap, um, pellucid grapes without one seed, odorous indeed must be the mead, whereon they grow and pure the wave they drink, with lilies at the brink and sugar-sweet their sap. Golden head by golden head, like two pigeons in one nest, folded in each other's wings, they lay down in their curtain bed.
Like two blossoms on one stem, like two flakes of new-fallen snow, like two wands of ivory tipped with gold for awful kings, moon and stars gazed in at them, winds sang to them a lullaby. Lumbering owls forbore to fly, not a bat flapped to and fro round their rest, cheek to cheek and breast to breast locked together in one nest. Early in the morning, when the first cock crowed his warning, neat like bees and sweet and busy, Laura rose with Lizzie, fetched in honey, milked the cows, aired and set to rights the house, kneaded cakes with whitest wheat, cakes for dainty mouths to eat, next churned butter, whipped up cream, fed their poultry, sat and sewed, talked as modest maidens should, Lizzie with an open heart, Laura in an absent dream, one content, one sick in part, one warbling for, the mere bright day's delight, one longing for the night. At length slow evening came. They went with pitches to the reedy brook. Lizzie most placid in her look, Laura most like a leaping flame. They drew the gurgling water from its deep. Lizzie plucked purple and rich golden flags. Then turning homeward said, the sunset flushes, those furthest loftiest crags. Come, Laura, not another maiden lags, no willful squirrel wags, the beasts and birds are fast asleep. But Laura loitered still among the rushes, and said the bank was steep, and said the hour was early still, the dew not fallen, the wind not chill, listening ever but not catching the customary cry, come by, come by, with its iterated jingle of sugar-baited words, not for all her watching, once discerning even one goblin, racing, whisking, tumbling, hobbling, let alone the herds that used to tramp along the glen in groups or single of brisk fruit merchantmen. Till Lizzie urged, O oh, Laura, come, I hear the fruit call, but I dare not look. You should not loiter longer at this brook. Come with me home. The stars rise, the moon bends her arc, each glowworm winks her spark. Let us get home before the night grows dark, for clouds may gather, though this is summer weather. Put out the lights and drench us through. Then if we lost our way, what should we do? Laura turned cold as stone to find her sister heard that cry alone, that goblin cry, Come buy our fruits, come buy. Must she then buy no more such dainty fruit? Must she no more such succuous pasture find, gone deaf and blind? Her tree of life drooped from the root. She said not one word in her heart sore ache, but peering through the dimness naught discerning, trudged home her pitcher dripping all the way, so crept to bed and lay silent till Lizzie slept, then sat up with a passionate yearning, and gnashed her teeth for balked desire, and wept as if her heart would break. Day after day, night after night, Laura kept watch in vain, in sullen silence of exceeding pain. She never caught again the goblin cry, Come by, come by! She never spied the goblin men hawking their fruits along the glen. But when the noon waxed bright, her hair grew thin and grey. She dwindled, as the fair full moon doth turn to switched, swift decay and burn her far away. One day, remembering her kernel stone, she set it by a wall that faced the south, dewed it with tears hoped for a root, watched for a waxing shoot, but there came none. It never saw the sun. It never felt the trickling moisture run, while with sunk eyes and faded mouth she dreamed of melons, as a traveller sees false waves in desert drouth, with shade of leaf-crowned trees, and burns the thirstier in the sandful breeze. She no more swept the house, 
tended the fowls or cows, fetched honey, kneaded cakes of wheat, bought water from the brook, but sat down listless in the chimney nook and would not eat. Tender Lizzie could not bear to watch her sister's cankerous care, yet not to share. She night and morning caught the goblin's cry, Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy. Beside the brook, along the glen, she heard the tramp of goblin men, the yoke and stir poor Laura could not hear, longed to buy fruit to comfort her, but feared to pay too dear. She thought of Jeanie in her grave, who should have been a bride, but who for joys brides hoped to have fell sick and died, in her gay prime, in earliest winter time, with the first glazing rhyme, with the first snowfall of crisp winter time. Till Laura dwelling seemed knocked at death's door, then Lizzie weighed no more, better or worse, but put a silver penny in her purse, kissed Laura, crossed the heath with clumps of firs, at twilight halted by the brook, and for the first time in her life began to listen and look. Laughed every goblin when they spied her peeping, came towards her hobbling, flying, running, leaping, puffing and blowing, chuckling, clapping, crowing, clucking and gobbling, mopping and mowing, full of airs and graces, pulling wry faces, demure grimaces, cat-like and rat-like, rattle and wombat-like, snail-paced in a hurry, parrot-voiced and whistler, helter-skelter, hurry-scurry, chattering like magpies, fluttering like pigeons, gliding like fishes, hugged her and kissed her, squeezed and caressed her, stretched up their dishes, panniers and plates, look at our apples, russet and dun, bob at our cherries, bite at our peaches, citrons and dates, grapes for the asking, pears red with basking, out in the sun, plums on their twigs, pluck them and suck them, pomegranate figs. Good folk, said Lizzie, mindful of Jeanie, give me much and many, held out her apron, tossed them her penny. Nay, take a seat with us, honour and eat with us, they answered, grinning. Our feast is but beginning. Night yet is early, warm and dew pearly, wakeful and starry, such fruits as these. Can, no man can carry. Half their bloom would fly, half their dew would dry, half their flavour would pass by. Sit down and feast with us. Be welcome guest with us. Cheer you and rest with us. Thank you, said Lizzie. But one waits at home alone for me, so without further parleying, if you will not sell me any of your fruits, though much and many, give me back my silver penny I tossed you for a fee. They began to scratch their pates, no longer wagging, purring, but visibly demurring, grunting and snarling, one called her proud, cross-grained, uncivil, their tones waxed loud, their looks were evil. Lashing their tails, they trod and hustled her, elbowed and jostled her, clawed with their nails, barking, mewing, hissing, mocking, tore her gown and soiled her stocking, twitched her hair up by the roots, stamped upon her tender feet, held her hands and squeezed their fruits against her mouth to make her eat. White and golden Lizzie stood, like a lily in a flood like a rock of blue-veined stone lashed by tides obstreperiously, like a beacon left alone in a hoary roaring sea, sending up a golden fire, like a fruit-crowned orange tree, white with blossoms honey-sweet, sore beset by wasp and bee, 
like a royal virgin town topped with gilded dome and spire, close beleaguered by a fleet, mad to tug her standard down. One may lead a horse to water, twenty cannot make him drink. Though the goblins cuffed and caught her, coaxed and fought her, bullied and besought her, scratched her, pinched her black as ink, kicked and knocked her, mauled and mocked her, Lizzie uttered not a word, would not open lip from lip, lest they should cram a mouthful in, but laughed in heart to feel the drip of juice that syruped all her face, and lodged in dimples of her chin, and streaked her neck, which quaked like curd, at last the evil people, worn out by her resistant, flung back her penny, kicked their fruit along, whichever road they took, not leaving root or stone or shoot, some writhed into the ground, some dived into the brook with ring and ripple, some scudded on the gale without a sound, some vanished in the distance. In a smart ache tingle, Lizzie went her way, knew not was it night or day, sprang up the bank, tore through the firs, threaded copse and dingle, and heard her penny jingle bouncing in her purse. Its bounce was music to her ear. She ran and ran, as if she feared some goblin man dogged her with jibe or curse or something worse. But not one goblin scurried after, nor was she pricked by fear. The kind heart made her windy paced that urged her home, quite out of breath with haste and inward laughter. She cried, Laura, up the garden, did you miss me? Come and kiss me, never mind my bruises, hug me, kiss me, suck my juices, squeeze from goblin fruits for you, goblin pulp and goblin dew, eat me, drink me, love me, Laura, make me much of me, for your sake I have braved the glen, and had to do with goblin merchantmen. Laura started from her chair, flung her arms up in the air, clutched her hair. Lizzie, Lizzie, have you tasted, for my sake, the fruit forbidden? Must your light, like mine, be hidden? Your young life, like mine, be wasted? Undone in my undoing? And ruined in my ruin? Thirsty, cankered, goblin-ridden? She clung about her sister, kissed and kissed and kissed her. Tears once again refreshed her sunken eyes, dropping like rain after long, sultry drouth. Shaking with anguish, fear and pain, she kissed and kissed her with a hungry mouth. Her lips began to scorch, that juice was wormwood to her tongue. She loathed the feast. Writhing as one possessed, she leaped and sung, rent all her robe and wrung, her hands in lamentable haste, and beat her breast. Her locks streamed like the torch borne by a racer at full speed, or like the mane of horses in their flight, or like an eagle when she stems the light straight toward the sun, or like a caged thing freed, or like a flying flag when armies run. Swift Fire spread through her veins, knocked at her heart, met the fire smouldering there, and overbore its lesser flame. She gorged on bitterness without a name. Ah, fool to choose such part of soul-consuming care! Sense failed in the mortal strife, like the watchtower of a town which an earthquake shatters down, like a lightning-stricken mast, like a wind uprooted tree spun about like a foam-topped water-spout cast down headlong in the sea she fell at last pleasure past and anguish past is it death or is it life 
Life out of death, that night long Lizzie watched by her, counted her pulses, flagging stir, felt for her breath, held water to her lips and cooled her face with tears and fanning leaves. But when the first birds chirped about their eaves and early reapers plodded to the place of golden sheaves and dew-wet grass, bowed in the morning wind so brisk to pass, and new buds with new day, opened of cup-like lilies in the stream, Laura awoke as if from a dream, laughed in the innocent old way, hugged Lizzie, but not twice or thrice. Her gleaming locks showed not one thread of grey. Her breath was sweet as May, and light danced in her eyes. Days, weeks, months, years afterwards, when both were wives with children of their own, their mother's heart beset with fears, their lives bound up in tender lives, Laura would call the little ones and tell them of her early prime, those pleasant days long gone of not returning time, would talk about the haunted glen, the wicked, quaint fruit merchant men, their fruits like honey to the throat, but poison in the blood, men sell not such in any town would tell them how her sister stood in deadly peril to do her good and win the fiery antidote then joining hands to little hands would bid them cling together for there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather to cheer one on the tedious way to fret fetch one if one goes astray to lift one if one totters down to strengthen whilst one stands Dr. New, poetry, Dr. New, poetry corner. And to contrast the extremely long Rossetti poem, Gobbler Market, I am going to um, read an, a relatively short um, poem. Um, it's uh, by John Donne. It's very famous. Uh, and um, he was a sixteenth um, <clears throat> and early seventeenth um, poet, um, and a Catholic um, in a time when um, Catholicism was uh, an extremely dangerous path in England. Um, he um, uh, had several children, he wrote lots of poetry, um, and um, uh, he was really avant-garde for his time. Um, it's one of the things that I really like about him. Um, he um, uh, had a very varied career, but um, uh, he, he was one of the metaphysical po poets, and metaphysical poets, uh, or f uh, kind of a philosophical poetry was uh, really new and uh, different at the time and so his poetry um, really uh, I guess stood out. Um, while this poem is very short it's so poignant um, that it is um, has entered uh, common um, uh, parlance um, uh, in everyday lives. Um, so here we go. For Whom the Bell Tolls by John Donne No man is an island, entire of itself. 
Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thine own or of thine friends were. Each man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind. Therefore, send not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. New Poetry, Dr. New Poetry Corner. So today's poet is Lord Byron. His whole name is actually George Gordon Byron, sixth Baron of Byron. <laughs> um, he is uh, one of England's greatest poets, most, most renowned poets. Um, he was um, a uh, politician as well, uh, and uh, he was one of the key members of the Romantic movement. Um, he was around uh, in um, the uh, late 18th uh, and early 19th uh, century. Uh, his poems that were um, considered to be most... Um, well known is Don Juan and Child Harold's Pilgrimage um, and She Walks in Beauty, which is what we're going to read today. And uh, he led a really interesting life. Um, he travelled a lot um, across Europe. Um, he was very flamboyant. Um, he was rather excessive, hedonistic. Um, hugely in debt, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and had many, many love affairs. I think he actually um, might have fancied himself a bit of a Don Juan himself. So, um, uh, and um, Ada Lovelace um, was um, his uh, child. And uh, she's considered one of the first um, computer programmers. Uh, so, um, so a very influential person, um, uh, not only in um, uh, arts, but also in history and um, connections with um, uh, some key people across um, uh, history, I guess. She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron She walks in beauty Like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies And all that's best of dark and bright Meet in her aspect and her eyes Thus mellowed to that tender light Which heaven to gaudy day denies One shade the more, one ray the less had half impaired the nameless grace which waves in every raven tress, or softly lightens o'er her face, where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear their dwelling place. And on that cheek and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent, the smiles that win, the tints that glow, but tell of days in goodness spent, 
a mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. Darkness by Lord Byron I had a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came, and brought no day. And men forgot their passions in the dead of their des this their desolation, and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. And they did live by watchfires, and the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell, were burnt for beacons. Cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of vol the volcanoes, and their mountain torch, a fearful hope, was all the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by the despairing light wore an unearthly aspect. As by fits the flashes fell upon them, some lay down and hid their eyes and wept, and some did rest their chins upon their clenched hands and smiled, and others hurried to and fro and fed their funeral piles with fuel and looked up with mad disquietude on the dull sky the pall of a past world, and then again with curses cast them down upon the dust, and gnashed their teeth, and howled, the wild birds shrieked, and, and terrified did flutter on the ground, and flat their useless wings. The wildest brutes came tame and tremulous, and vipers crawled and twinned themselves among the multitude. Hissing but stingless, they were slain for food, and war which for a moment was no more, did glut himself again. A meal was brought with blood, and each sate sullenly apart, gorging himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death, immediate and inglorious, and the pang of famine fed upon all entrails. Men died, and their bones were tombless as their flesh, the meagre by the meagre were devoured, even dogs assailed their masters, all save one, and he was faithful to a corpse, and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay, till hunger clung them, or the drooping dead lured their lank jaws, himself sought out no food, but with a piteous and perpetual moan, and a quick desolate cry, licking the hand, which answered not with a caress, he died. The crowd was famished by degrees, but two of an enormous city did survive, and they were enemies. They met beside the dying embers of an altar place, where they had been heaped a mass of holy things for an, a holy usage they'd raked up, and shivering scratched with their old, cold skeleton hands the feeble ashes, and their feeble breath blew for a little life, and made a flame which was a mockery. Then they lifted up their eyes as it grew lighter, and beheld each other's aspects, saw and shrieked and died. Even of their mutual hideousness they died, unknowing who he was upon whose brow. Famine had written fiend. The world was void. 
the populous and the powerful was a lump, seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. The rivers, lakes and oceans all stood still, and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships sailless lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal as they dropped. They slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tides were in their grave. The moon, their mistress, had expired before. The winds were withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. Dr. New, poetry, Dr. New, poetry corner. So today's poet is William Carlos Williams. And uh, he was a Puerto Rican American poet. Um, and uh, he, his work um, was often um, quite painterly. Uh, and um, he um, died in 1963. Um, he was 79 when he died. Um, he um, had um, a background in um, medicine. Um, he was quite an, in, he had quite a varied career, uh, and um, his poetry is quite. It, it, um, I guess it engages the senses. Uh, so I'm going to read a couple of his poems tonight. Um, and the first one I'm going to read um, is one of his most famous ones. Uh, and it's called, This Is Just To Say. This Is Just To Say by William Carlos Williams. I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. Approach of Winter by William Carlos Williams The half-stripped trees struck by a wind together, bending all the leaves flutter dryly and refuse to let go, or, driven like hail, stream bitterly out to one side and fall, where the salvia's hard carmine, like no leaf that ever was, edge the bare garden. As the Cat by William Carlos Williams As the Cat climbed over the top, of the jam closet, first the right forefoot, carefully, then the hind stepped down into the pit of the empty flower pot. Dr. New, poetry, Dr. New, poetry corner. Well, today we have Mary Angelou, Dr. Mary Angelou again, and one of her famous poems, uh, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. 
So we've spoken at length about um, Maya Angelou um, before, so I won't repeat that and I'll just get on to the reading. I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with fearful trill of the things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird sings, stands on the grave of dreams his shadow shouts on a nightmare scream his wings are clipped and his feet are tied so he opens his throat to sing the caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still and his tune is heard on the distant hill for the caged bird sings of freedom Dr. New, poetry, Dr. New, poetry, corner. So today we are talking Oscar Wilde. He was born 1954 and died in 1900. And he's best known for his prose works, such as Dorian, uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray, The Importance of Being Earnest, etc. But... Um, he was also known as a uh, brilliant wit, <laughs> being extremely flamboyant, and he was um, imprisoned for um, a homosexuality. Um, he was born in Dublin and very popular in Victorian England. Um, and um, uh, while he's... Um, only, only novel was the picture of Dorian Gray. He was ha, he wrote a great number of plays and satirical uh, comedies, uh, and he also wrote a number of poems. And the poem that I'm going to read today is to his wife. To my wife with a copy of my poems by Oscar Wilde. I can write no stately poem as a prelude to my lay. From a poet to a poem, I would dare to say, for if these fallen petals, one to you seems fair, love will waft it till it settles on your hair. And when wind and winter harden, or the loveless land, it will whisper of the garden, you will understand. Roses and Rue by Oscar Wilde Could we dig up this long buried treasure, were it worth the pleasure? We never could learn love's song, we were parted too long. 
Could the passionate past that is fled call back its dead? Could we live it all over again, were it worth the pain? I remember we used to meet by an ivied seat, and you warbled each pretty word with the air of a bird, and your voice had a quaver in it, just like a linnet, and shook as the blackbird's throat with its last big note. And your eyes, they were green and grey, like an April day, but lit into amethyst when I stooped and kissed. And your mouth, it would never smile for a long, long while, and then it rippled all over with laughter five minutes after. You were always afraid of a shower, just like a flower. I remember you started and ran when the rain began. I remember I never could catch you, for no one could match you. You had wonderful, luminous, fleet little wings to your feet. I remember your hair. Did I tie it? For it was always ran riot, like a tangled sunbeam of gold. These things are old. I remember so well the room and the lilac bloom that beat at the dripping pane in the warm June rain. And the colour of your gown, it was amber-brown, and two yellow satin bows from the shoulder rose, and the handkerchief of French lace which you held to your face. Had a small tear left a stain, or was it the rain? On your hand, as it waved adieu, there were veins of blue, in your voice, as it said good-bye, was a petulant cry. You have only wasted your life. Ah, that was the knife. When I rushed through the garden gate, it was all too late. Could we live it over again? Were it worth the pain? Could the passionate past that is fled call back its dead? Well, if my heart must break, dear love, for your sake... Will break in music. I know poets' hearts break so. But strange that I was not told that the brain can hold in a tiny ivory cell God's heaven and hell.